This is Passing for Normal, conversations with artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and here I speak with fascinating, innovative change makers. We talk about how to make change, meet change, and how to find the courage to create change in your life and with those around you. Bringing new ideas into the mainstream, that's Passing for Normal. Hello, and welcome to Passing for Normal, where my guest today is the deeply regarded musician, ritual leader, and mentor guide, Miguel Rivera. Miguel facilitates people to find healing in community, in connection to the earth, and in connection to indigenous earth-based traditions. He He is an accomplished drummer and a man in love with the language of sound. Miguel tirelessly dedicates himself to bringing back rites of passage to youth and veterans and all those in need of restoring to wholeness, providing a stabilizing presence in the lives of individuals who have been lost, forgotten, or neglected. He's the founder of Western Gateway Roots and Wings and serves on the board of directors for the veterans organization Soldier's Heart, youth organization Shade Tree, and Wolf Connection, which seeks to reestablish relations between nature and humans. Welcome, Miguel. Great. Thank you so much, Sharon, for having me on today. I appreciate it. You are such a busy guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, that's true. That's true. Your work. But I have to make time. Yes, go ahead. I was going to say, your work touches so many people in so many ways. Yeah, it, it was not necessarily intentional when I started up, but I realized that I have access to information that people need to have. And so in whichever, in any way possible that I can do that, convey that, I will, I will work effortlessly to do so. Yes. So that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, how do you describe what you do? Well, uh, I approach it as a, as a way of healing people on an energetic base. I got started when I was a kid. I grew up watching my father and my mother. My father died when I was three years old, but he was a very accomplished surgeon in Guatemala. And my mother uh, basically ran a small hospital. And in conjunction with that, after his death, my uncle moved in and operated a clinic at the front end of the house. So all around me basically was energy dedicated to the healing and the well-being of people. And they didn't care whether they had money or not. As long as they knew that they could get healing, people would come. And people would pay in very strange ways. Uh, People would bring chickens, firewood, Mm -hmm. fruit, all kinds of strange Mm -hmm. things would show up at the door. So I realized that in, 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 in one form or another, I knew that I had to be in service to that healing energy. And I didn't know exactly how it was going to, uh, manifested my life. I worked for two years in a hospital when I was a teenager in New York, my last two years of high school. And then I realized that there was something that wasn't quite working for me. So I became a musician instead. And then I realized one of the bands that I, one of the first bands that I played with, we would arrange, compose and perform music specifically designed to change people's energetic patterns, you know, in their life so that they could get healed through the music. Because what I learned from working in a hospital for two years, a day on, a day off, a day on, a day off, you realize that people also need some energetic uh, approach to, to deal with what's happening inside their their their, their being, in their mm-hmm. soul, and that their soul is not at rest or not at ease with being in this planet. A lot of things basically go awry in their lives. I mean, I could see that really clearly. And it became really evident to me one time we were doing a show in New York City, and uh, a woman came up. To, I, was, I, used to, I used to like to pack my gear at the end of the concerts. 
And so this woman came up and I said, I want to thank you for saving my life. And I said, really? Uh, tell me about it. And so uh, she said, I was going to kill myself. And I was walking around the streets of New York and I saw your album cover on the store and I bought it. And after listening to the music, I decided not to do that. So thank you. And then I realized wow. that what we had set out to do had worked, even if it's for only one person, our, our basically our goal had been accomplished. And I realized there's something significant to that kind of approach to energy dealing with people. And, I, and so I've been studying that for a number of years in different configurations, but that's one of the ways in which I work with people is through energetic. So know. through energetics, primarily through music, primarily through, through music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Music and sound and basically and ceremony and connected to nature. So in, when you put all those environments together, all those different strata together, a lot of the times, uh, when I see people in healing environments, they don't necessarily connect all the strata that, that, that compose their being, that composes, uh, that their beings are made out of. And so something always gets left out. So my goal is always to incorporate as much as possible in a moment <laughs> and connect it physically to the body, to mind, spirit, to, to the world and to the land in which they inhabit, which is a big part of it too, a disconnect to the land that we live in. So, Right. You know, I feel that one of our basic human needs is the need for belonging. And, mm -hmm. yes. um, and the music that you create, whether it's uh, the sound of the drums, like a, a, an ongoing beat or connection to the earth, these are all ways in which people come into a sense of, of belonging mm -hmm. to, to something yeah. larger, right? To something larger than yes. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, uh, to me, one of the, uh, like I grew up, for instance, my father was from Guatemala, mixed Spanish and uh, Indian blood. My mother was from the United States, Polish, and just 100% Northern mm. European United States. And so when I grew up, I, I never felt like I belonged in this planet, particularly in Guatemala. I was, I was always the other. You know, I, did, I, was, I belonged to two cultures and not really belonging to one. And I thought that would change when I came to the United States. It was much worse when I, when I got. So how do I how do I connect the dots? And it's basically through my practice of incorporating it into music, and then later on participating in native ceremonies. And I realized, oh, I'm not a I'm not a I belong here. I finally I was maybe 27, 20 years old before I finally realized I really belong. I have a, there's a place for me here in this world, and I belong here. You know, and I realized most of us feel a deep, profound. And I don't know if it's alienation or a combination of alienation, but also exile too, because we don't know how to connect to the world around us, you know, because there's so many different uh, limitations or, or, or um, uh, inhibitors in the, in the culture that prevent us from really connecting, you know, so. Right, and so, so much of the work that you do is about helping to provide those connections on these different strata, as you say, you know, uh, yes. and right now you're working with particular groups of people, um, mm -hmm. with, with uh, youth, with at-risk youth, and also with veterans, so mm -hmm. can you talk about yes. that? Well, the, what interesting, we got interested about, in 1995, I participated in a, in a men's retreat where we had 50 kids that were in gangs or at risk in different cities, uh, L.A. area, Bay Area, Chicago, New Orleans. And then we ended up, as a result of this, we learned a lot. The kids were basically, you know, they were like so full of energy. It was really hard to focus them. And we finally got them involved when we did a, a, an emulation of a Maya initiation ritual where in which they went out and learned how to dance 
they learned a particular dance, created a dance, and then made staffs and hoops, hoops, you know, little round circles that are like ceremonial shields. And there was a whole dance between the kids and the adults at this event that totally transformed the energy of uh, of a lot of anger and, and, and combat that was uh, present among the men, in particular the men and the youth both. And so you have to, you, uh, men carry a particular energy that's highly volatile and very intense, and, at, and particularly at that age between, the, say, between 11 and 15 or 25, somewhere in there in those, in that, in those years, there's a massive amount of energy that has to be uh, reconfigured and channeled in a particular way that's grounded and connected. So I've been, we've been studying this for years. So we started uh, uh, the kids that were in, that came back to LA from that retreat. The shade tree was the mentoring group was started from that, and they all basically gathered. They would show up. Uh, I learned how to run uh, sweat lodges in the early '80s. And so one of the things that we did is every month or every month and a half there'd be a lodge, and everybody that belonged to shade tree would show up. And some of these kids are we're still in relationship today, 22 years later. Some of them have all become, uh, you know, they've all gone on to be professionals. Most of them, musicians, oh, lawyers. Beautiful. Some of them are healers, and so and now they're bringing youth again. So I realized this worked. So we have to investigate how to how to make this grow wider, bigger. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. necessarily really all encompassing, but this is a way of reseeding the culture, seeding something in the culture that has uh, long-term effects that are beneficial to everybody, you know, because it includes, uh, for me, one of the biggest, a uh, big challenge in the, in the culture today is how fragmented we are in terms of uh, not only ethnically, but also uh, age-wise. The kids don't know how to talk to the adults. The adults don't know how to talk to the elders and everybody's compartmentalized in some form or another and behind the computer and not really talking to each other. So community doesn't really exist. So we have to really recreate community in a way that holds all the ambiguities that we face, you know. So it's a very complicated picture. So when people set out to create rites of passages, is we have to we have to envision something that has never existed before in the history of the world that I that I know of. So it's an interesting challenge. But little by little, I mean, to me, thinking about the larger strokes, which are basically to deal with the the fragmentization or how fragmented we are as a culture and as a as a as a nation really of people and not only that but we're not only we're, humans are not the only ones that inhabit this planet also as well you know well, that's, so we have to also mm-hmm. we also have to have our Go relations ahead. to all the other creatures and 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 uh, <laughs> lives on the planet right so the question yes, that I was exactly. going to ask you is you said that you know that we have to create rites of passage in a way that we never have before because we are living at the edge of, in a way that we never have before. And yet you reach back, you reach back to indigenous earth-based Native American traditions as the foundation of your work. Yeah. Uh, I had the opportunity to spend, to meet several, there were several elders that were looking for young people outside of their communities. This is in the early 80s. And they wanted to teach because they realized their days were numbered and they were not going to be around. We used to hear this all the time. Come around, learn, because I'm not going to be around much longer. So you got to learn everything that I know. Mm-hmm. But the reality, one of the purposes of their intention of teaching is they wanted to recreate the coming together of the cultures. And I didn't learn this till much later on. And, and it took me a while to really understand it. But their their premise was they knew that when Europeans or the, at least the, the European cultures, when they came over to this part of the world, they were carrying what they considered to be an incomplete system of beliefs. And there was nothing that they could do to stem the tide of, 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 of people coming over, but they had to endure 
<laughs> until there was some sort of uh, agreement as to how we all belong in this world together, you know? And so, I mean, I heard it, one of the Hopi elders that I went to listen to years ago said this, he goes, they could see the Spanish coming over the hills and then they carried a cross on a staff. And, and to them, the cross without a circle is an incomplete system of beliefs. And that to mm. me, that's a huge, mm. incredible. And, and, and he said, oh, we can't, we got to put up with these people until they wake up and they understand that the <laughs> oh, circle gosh. is also part of that cross. <laughs> and to me, that was phenomenal. Yeah, that is and phenomenal. And so I was going, wow, that's really, and a, and a friend of mine, uh, who's a poet, um, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but he wrote, he wrote a poem, it's a beautiful poem that says this, roots tell us through the flowers what the earth is like on the inside. And to me, that's a huge mm. piece because all of us as humans are connected to the earth in some form uh, to, to essence, to spirit. I mean, to me, one of the teachings that, that seriously drives what I do is that at a core level, we all come from the same energy source, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Spirit, God, matter, essence, the mystery, you know, whatever word you have, we all originate in the same place. And it's manifested differently because of how we are in relationship to the lands that we originate from. So to me, the only way to make it all work is when we all come and represent from that root connection to the essence and make the new wheel. You know, a lot of the native ceremonies almost all have a wheel in some form or another that represents the coming together of all the beings of this universe, you know, everything and nothing is excluded. And so to me, I always go back to that. And if we all come and represent from where we are connected, that's the only way that it's going to work. Instead of forcing our way of being or our way of connecting on everybody else, which is which 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 is what has happened historically, now we can come and represent from how we are we are connected and reweaving, you know, the uh, <laughs> the wheel or remaking the wheel. Yes. One so, of the visions. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say. And so, do do you bring that wheel that that configuration of the wheel into the ceremonies that you that you do? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's always there. Mm -hmm. Everything, everything, nothing is excluded. Nothing. And so I look at it as it's one big family. And like at any family reunion, you have a lot of strange looking relatives there. And you go, oh my God, that's my aunt. Yes, that's your aunt. <laughs> and how cool is she? Or how cool is your cousin? You know what I mean? Yes. That you never met before, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like that. And, and there, to me, at the end of the day, there is no us and them. It's all us. And so we have to learn how to really look at each other as family and figure out how to make a relationship. Because that, to me, is the reason why there's so um, there's so much uh, confrontation today because there's a need to be in relationship with the other. You know, you can't keep fighting the other, but that part of whatever that is has to be incorporated in some fashion, you know, and not vilified. Absolutely. So, and we're living in this, this political climate right now of so much us and them. So, you know, uh, when people, when people yeah. are um, feeling threatened, they tend to retreat into their tribalism, right? Whatever, mm -hmm. however they define the tribe, right. whether it's right. by sense yeah. of belief, whether it's this color of their skin, whether it's their neighborhood, mm -hmm. socioeconomic yeah. position, you know, and right. so we're so entrenched right now in an us and them. And, um, mm -hmm. And so, which, which fragments us, right? We think that we're we right. think that yeah. we're we're strengthening yeah. ourselves by doing that, but it fragments us from the whole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, what so we do have you to do? How do you act? How do you work that when you when people come together in any given group? Well, we go back to basics. I remember having a conversation years ago with a friend of mine, and he said, you know, when people get down to basics, when they're just there. 
the first thing they do is they make shelter and then they make food. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you learn each other's jokes and you learn each other's songs and then dances and then you create community. So that's basically what we're doing in a way is recreating the coming together of the cultures with a sense of incorporation and, uh, and uh, amalgamation as opposed to enforcement and domination, you know, but being in truly in relationship. So that to me is a huge piece. I mean, I've been going to Hawaii to we've been, uh, with this, uh, several of, of my dear brothers that I work with doing veterans retreats. And I remember in the, one of the first years that we went there, the guys, the, the elders that greeted us over there, they all looked at us like, and they're going, well, what are you guys from the mainland? Are you mainlanders just another bunch of missionaries over here trying to tell us what to do? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, 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 no. To my, I said, no, we're not, that's not what it's about. I said, we're, we're recreating the coming together of the cultures where you have a, say, a sense of inquiry and exploration, and then you figure out the, 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 the clash has already happened. Now we have to know what, what we have to do now is reintroduce ourselves as humans instead of uh, be, being, we're decolonializing ourselves, you know, in a way, by coming together in this way. So it's really learning each other's habits and customs and manners, you know. And to some traditionalists that I talk to, uh, each each major ethnic group carries a particular relationship to an element. Like, you know, I remember uh, a friend of mine who's La Lakota said to me, you know, the Lakota believe this. He goes, the white people carry the, the fire. He said, the black people carry the water, the red people carry the earth, and the yellow nations carry the air. And I'm going, wow, I've never heard that before. But all elements, there's not one element that's over, that, that's overpowering over the rest, but they're all in relationship, you know. When we were one of the one of the visions that I love that drives me is the Black Elk's dream, you know, which is basically all these different horses show up in front to dance in front of the Tree of Life. Well, the Tree of Life is dead in this plane. The, my, this is my interpretation of, of, of the vision, but mm-hmm. the, there's a huge barren plane and there's a tree that's completely dead, and these horses start to show up from different directions. You know, black horses from one direction, red horses, yellow horses, white horses blue horses, green horses, and they're all there like kicking and biting each other. Wow, what are you doing here? This is my field. Oh, it's my field. Blah, 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 blah. And like that, and just being really nasty to each other, insulting and biting and fighting. And eventually they go, well, if you're not going, I'm not going either. Like that. And the whole thing, eventually they settle down and they begin to move around and they're still in their own groups, you know. And they start going around the tree. And as they start going around the tree, it becomes very reverential. And as it becomes reverential, it becomes sacred. And they start intermingling, mixing with each other. And eventually they dance and basically becomes a prayer. And as they do this, the tree comes back to life, which to me is a phenomenal opportunity. You know, to me, if that, if that is a mythology that we need to embody and recreate, to me, that would be the goal of what we do ceremonially. Another another take that I had too. There was a native medicine man. His name was Raymond Stone. who was a Paiute, and I had the opportunity to swear with him uh, several times in the early '80s. And he said this: "Everything we are," and he was talking about the Paiute in particular. Everything that we are comes from the land. The way we make houses, the way we tell jokes, the way we make pottery, clothes, everything, everything. And if we ever lose it, we go back to the land, and the land will tell us. Mm-hmm. And so to me, part of it is a return to the land in a, in a ceremonial way and being able to listen to what the land is telling us or how to go about what we need to do. Because, I mean, we are being re-indigenized, whether we realize it or not. Uh, the signature of the land is now in our bones. I mean, the minerals and the elements that are in the foods that we eat are now making our bones. So to me, those stones that you see out there in the fields are now becoming part of our bones. So there's a relationship, there's a correspondence. 
there's a, a resonance there between the land and our bodies that needs to be looked at. How do we do this? How do we reconnect again? You know, so it's an exploration and there's no easy formula and it's not quantified you know, and it's not commodified in any way, shape or form, you know, by doing three of these and three of these and bing, ah, you're, you're all initiated now. You can go on and save the world. You know, it's not yeah, that way at all. Right. So. Right. And especially for those of us who live in the city or who live in the suburbs or who live, mm -hmm. you know, who are not having bare feet on the earth. Right. Or yeah. not having, yeah. you know, not being able to be immersed in the in the waters that it is uh, it's mm -hmm. more it becomes more abstract. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is yeah. which is how did we get here? <laughs> how yeah. did we possibly because... um get to this place where we are so disconnected from our source. Yeah. Because to me, one of the, one of the things that I learned by participating in ceremony is like, you know, the fire is the fire. It is also a metaphor. It is a symbol it is an idea. And it is all those things that is a mythology, but is also a fire. So you have to learn how to make fire. <laughs> There's yes. no way around it. You mm -hmm. know? Uh, yeah, so that you have to, in some form, metabolize it physically so that you're totally connected to it, you know? And it's like, so when they say archetype, archetype is not a, just an academic position. It's not just a Jungian thing that you do when you go see your therapist. But, you know, you invoke the presence. To me, the, the huge, one of my jobs is to reinvigorate what I call the archetypal energy of the father, the universal father and the universal mother, which are totally in disarray right now in this world. You know, one of the processes of initiation is to connect people to the universal energies of father and mother, in particular, the mother, you know, the mother. Ray, uh, uh, Ray, the first nine months of the child are spent inside the womb. One of the first things that happen is you pierce through the amniotic sac, come out through the birth canal in some form or another, right? Sometimes one happens before the other one. But the next thing is the umbilicus gets cut, you know? And how do you reconnect your energetic umbilicus to, and that, at that point, that's what initiation is about. That's one of my visions of uh, initiation when I was sun dancing. I felt my... Yeah, my umbilicus being reconnected again to the tree that I was dancing in front of. And I was going, wow, and the tree became the placenta. So what I've learned from, from participating in, in Sundance as a Sundancer is that the universal mother, now I am introduced to the world. And now the onus of my mother, my physical father, physical mother being totally responsible for me gets transferred to the universal father and the universal mother. So now everybody gets a relief, you know, like the mother goes, oh, phew, I can have a little time off now. I'm not totally responsible for this life, you know. The larger community of the universal is now directly connected to my child to in some form or another, you know. And that has to be um, noted so that the soul doesn't feel like, oh, there's something not done yet. What am I going to do? Something intense has to happen to me right now. So you have to complete a stage of development in a proper ceremonial fashion, you know. Some people prefer the world ritual and some people prefer ceremony depending on what academic background you mm -hmm. come from, you know, right. but a lot of the native people that I've been through, when you say ritual, they go, Oh, he must be an anthropologist mining up for information. So not connected to participation. So na most native peoples that I know, they use ceremony and they're very comfortable with the word ceremony and they don't have to use ritual, but the whole thing is to participate in something that involves the connection through the elements into nature and to the community of humans, you know? So that's one aspect of looking at initiation, you know, well, that's beautiful, and I know that you, um, a lot of the work that you do is with men and with finding mm -hmm. the, the, um, the universal uh, quality of the father and restoring yes. that and restoring mm -hmm. that in men who you feel have not um, really had that uh, 
had that uh, been held by that energy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, and even though I primarily work with men, it's really critical for them to understand the difference between the physical mother and the universal mother and that they're, they're not one and the same, although they can occupy the same time and space, but to also in, uh, in, uh, allow them to, con- to connect to that universal energy too, in the same way. You know, we were sitting outside of a, a lodge last week that I ran and everybody's it's, it's late. It's eight thirty at nine o'clock at night. You know, it's and everybody's smelling roses. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that only means one thing. That means that there's a presence of the Holy Mother is there. You know, some form. I, I, that's the what, I, what I, my experience is. That what it is. You know, that's that is what it is. And so they go, really? And I say, yeah. And they go, oh, cool. You know, so there's ways in which everybody can connect with these universal energies, and it's not basic, and it's important to restore the. Um, the well-being I feel to the, to me, the, the, the genders have to be re-sanctified in some fashion again, you know, cause there's so much crazy disconnection to the essence of the gender, you know, and all the, the, the politicizing and all the uh, com- confrontation or conflict around gender issues right now. If you go back and, and re uh, reestablish or reclaim a coherence or uh, re-sanctify the core of individuals, a lot of this would be uh, would all fall the way to you know, by the wayside. It would be necessary. Would, wouldn't be necessary to have to keep struggling or uh, uh, being in conflict about about who you are and what your place in the world is. You know, if you felt like it, if there's coherency at at a core level for most individuals or congruence people, uh, from what's going on inside to what's going on on the surface. So. Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, I hear so much of what you're talking about and so much of how you work is this, is this exchange between the relevance of what's happening for people right now and the, um, and the reaching into something that's more universal and that is, that is Mm -hmm. earth-based and grounded and that, that there's a, there's an interplay, um, between this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, constantly, ongoing, and it never stops, you know. So, <laughs> I remember one guy coming to my lodges at one time. He goes, oh, I'm done with my grief work. I don't have to ever address it again. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, I had a lot of go, oh, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. it's, just, so, it's just beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. For listeners who may not be familiar with what takes place in a sweat lodge, can you just briefly talk about that? Sure. Uh, a lodge is basically a ceremonial steam bath. We take stones and heat them up in some sort of a container or fire pit or something and bring them in with a pitchfork and put them inside of this little dome structure. And so, and we make steam and we pray in the darkness. And it's a return basically to two different points of origin. Uh, the lodge represents the womb of the mother. When the stones are coming in, it represents conception, sperm going into egg to make life. Inside represents gestation. The emergence represents birth. When the stones get placed in the fire to get heated up, it represents the creation of the universe. Creation stories from all over the world basically start in the, uh, in the same way. In the beginning, there was nothing, but there was this dark energy filled with manifestation. And so the elements first appear, water, and then somehow there's fire, and when the fire and the water come together, they make matter, right? And so when spirit and it touches the matter, life comes. So basically you're recreating not only the uh, ceremonially, there's in the ritual space, you're recreating the beginning of everything of the universe and also the, the, the beginning of, of the individuals. 
And so, and the way, the way I like to say it, in case something happened between then and now, between the beginning of you and the universe and the beginning of the universe that made you forget how holy or how sacred everything is, we're going to go all the way back there and reconnect you <laughs> with mm-hmm. that energy. Mm-hmm. So in the lodge, you get to you get to feel like you're a holy, sacred infant in a holy, sacred energy. And then you go, okay, I'm going to make an imprint, make a marker in you so that whatever happens that wants to make you forget that, whatever cultural amnesia clicks in or uh, heavy, like the next time somebody cuts off you off on the freeway or steals your parking spot, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to go have a, uh, you know... <laughs> apoplectic moment of emotional, but I can reconnect with this experience and let that be a marker for you, you know? So it's a way of creating something uh, definite that's element-based that gives you information as to how to reorient and how to, or, how, to, how, to, how to put a foundational anchor point for your being, you know? And Spiritual, so, mental, emotional, and physical. Yeah, go ahead. And so this is why this person could say to you, uh, they had this experience of reconnecting with themselves and said, I'm finished with my grief work. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but yet, it is, so this is a process that has to be sustained? Uh, I think you need to have some sort of a practice. The lodge is not the only way to get there. There's not, there's, I think there, there are as many ways as there are people you know, to get to this, to this core energy. The thing is you have to know where you're going and how to get there all the time. It's like saying to me, Somebody saying something like that is like saying, oh, I took a bowel movement today. I don't have to take a bowel movement the rest of my That's life. Right. I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I have, I, I've felt for years that this culture, in particular, the way we've been living on this planet, we need, we need a huge enema or the pipes have to be cleared because there's so much backup that hasn't been dealt with. And, and we're talking, you know, hundreds of generations of unaddressed issues that are 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 killing us right now because we haven't done it you know and the backup is just humongous when you look at all the cultural legacies of the world you know so that the the work of the lodge is represents you go back into the ancestry and try to reconfigure it so that there's no conflict you know because everything is related to in, in one form or another you know for us the teachings of the lodge is Whatever happened seven generations ago is affecting us now. So what we do now has to be critical. So it doesn't, or whatever we do now is going to affect people seven generations from now. And for a lot of Native people, a generation is a hundred years, not twenty-five mm-hmm. years. You know, so we're looking at you know mm-hmm. at repair, ancestral repair. And so much, so many of us have mixed heritages. I have at least three in my in my. <laughs> that yes. I know in my in my DNA that are all there. What are you doing here? Hey, no, I'm I'm the real ancestor. You know, battling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you gotta get them talking, singing, dancing, cooking food together in some form or another. You know, so that's basically what we gotta go back. I do. I got I gotta go back to that. You know, so so that's what happens. You can see how that happens in a lot. So basically, you're getting washed. You know, you're getting mm-hmm. cleansed, washed. They're technically, the, the other thing that happens in the lodge is just the skin is the largest organ in the body, technically, right? So mm-hmm. by opening up pores through steam, it's the easiest way for the body to get rid of toxins. So that's your basically deep. Uh, it's a it's a cleanse, not only spiritual but physical, mental, and emotional. You know, and part of it is all that energy gets put back into the ground again. You know, so that the energy can get recirculated. You know, mm. so. It's beautiful. I'm going back to what you were saying about the ancestors and and the uh, confluence of of ancestors. So much of your work seems to be 
about passing things on and about healing the past and moving it forward or con- great concern for, you know, next generations and where we're, and where we're going. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we have to, because I don't want to be transmitting, uh, the, the, the craziness that I inherited, you know, from at, at least three main, uh, I've, I've been reading a lot about Alfred Krasivsky. I don't know if Krasivsky is, but he's one of the creators of modern semantics. But he was Polish, you know, so I, I, got, I understood now what the craziness that was going on in Poland between the Germans and the Russians and the Austrians before World War One. So I have that. That's in my body. My DNA is in there. So, and I didn't know that before. My grandfather left Poland when he was 12 years old because he didn't want to get uh, conscripted into the Russian army, you know. And so I have Spanish inheritance in me, you know, the, the whole, I don't know who came over right after Columbus came over, but there's a whole decades and decades, centuries of inquisition there of domination and oppression and all that you know christians catholics coming in destroying native cultures in particular in guatemala when you read all about las casas and what he had to do in order to confront the the, the christianization or the or the catholics um whatever you the conversion of all these natives you go this is horrible this is awful and that's all in me so how do I come to terms with these three different parts of me, the Spanish, the native, and the Polish, you know, that are all like, okay, well, what are you doing here? You know what? So <laughs> I have to pray to them <laughs> to figure out, okay, you know how to make food. How do you make food? What kind of songs you have? Okay. And you know mm-hmm. how to make fire. How do you make fire in the snow? How do you make fire in the mountains? How do you hunt in the jungle? How do you? And so that's mm-hmm. what it's about for me ancestrally. And if I can make that work and realize, oh, these are, and now th- these cultures carry vital information that's, that's necessary for the survival of all of us into, into the future, you know? So not everybody has one, not everybody has the whole picture, but if everybody can, carries a particular piece, then put them together. Now this is how we have to cobble together the information that we have, you know? Okay, he knows how to make that. Okay, this one knows over here how to make these knots, and oh, that one knows how to make, how to use that tree for medicine. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. how do we plant in the winter? This mm-hmm. is what we're looking at right now, you know, yeah. vital information like that. Yeah. So, And so how does this particularly play out with the specific groups that you're, that you're working with right now, with youth and with veteran or veterans, and maybe when you work with bringing them both together? How does that particularly play out? Well, and interesting because you, when you extract, uh, is that you or me? Okay. I think we're good. Oh, when you extract, for instance, like I've heard people tell their stories, you know, and when you take out, uh, for instance, I had, I've had people come from severely different uh, racial, economic, and ethnic backgrounds, you know, all with the same story, you know alcoholic mm-hmm. or drug addicted parents, you know, single parents. And then you realize, oh, everybody's traumatizing the exact same way. And even though you're black, white, yellow, or red, it doesn't matter. You're all on the, in the same, you know, so that was one way of creating, creating commonality is by, uh, by, by being able to listen to people tell their stories of how they got there. So you have a, a repair where you have the presence of uh, the lack of community and family for an individual. That's one thing. So creating commonality by being able to realizing that we're not that different after all. Mm-hmm. You might look different, you might sound different, but at a core level, energetically, you're the same as I am, you know, because we face the same challenges, you know, we face the same fears, the same dilemmas, you know. So that's one way that the commonality gets created. And also, the other one is to realize that you're not alone, mm-hmm. you know. 
And for a lot of people, I mean, people are traumatized uh, at a core level at a very young age, almost all of us. And the, the, the massive amount of trauma that people carry is unbelievable to me. And so being able to listen, part of it has to be able to, uh, you have to be able to listen to people's stories without any condition at all whatsoever and create an element of safety. So unconditional love and, and non-judgmental uh, protection, you know, right? Or non-judgmental uh, holding of space so that the individual can, doesn't doesn't have to feel compromised, you know? So those are two things that at a core level to me is what creates commonality, you know? And, and everybody wants the same. They want to feel connected to their creativity. They want to feel loved. I mean, that's a huge one right there, being held and being loved unconditionally. I think most of us don't know, do have a hard time explaining what unconditional love is because love is attached to so many different conditions that we actually, I have questions sometimes whether we actually, do we really know what love is, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, those songs that, you know, yes, all do we songs. really know what love is? All those songs. Oh, there's yeah. a reason why. <laughs> yeah. They're writing those songs. Um, they're writing those songs. Yeah. There's, there's something like, a friend of mine said to me, cliches are true because there's some fundamental truth in there, you know, that, that, that bears out, you know, so. Right. Well, I have so. to say that you, have such a um, a strong and a strong presence of safety that people feel safe just when you walk in the room. They feel good when you mm. walk in the room because of what you carry, what you feel is important, and um, as well as as your connection to the earth. You know, when you say that people mm. are so traumatized, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately, I think what you're teaching and what um, what we need to understand is that the earth will hold us. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yes. All of that, the earth will hold us, and you are, um, and you are such a, a, a great enactor of that. Mm, well, thank you. <laughs> well, that's, that's my, it's always been my goal is to hold that space. And, and, base, and what, what I do, I think I want to pass it on. That's why it's interesting to me to, to, to work with the youth in particular, you know. But at the same time, what I've learned is, because it's a, we not only do we focus on the youth, but also focus on all the other age groups. You know, the adults. I remember one time we were doing this ritual in uh, at the end of uh, in one of the men's conferences that I was participating in, and the kids had done something incredibly fantastic. The youth made this incredible thing that they were bringing out, and it was one of those things where you you think, how could this get any better? I mean, there's a there's a thunderhead there with lightning coming out of it. You know, there's a rainbow on the other side. We were mm. all lined up in front of this. Like there's a thunderhead with eagle flock of eagles, you know, circling around a rainbow on the other side of the lake. And I'm going, this is like totally mythological, mm. but it's happening, you know? So the kids bring this thing out and everybody goes, ah, start yelling. And, and Royal Velder's going, I could see in their eyes, why those little, those little, uh, you know, excluded, deleted there. How, how come they get to do this? And me, uh, we don't, you know. And oh. I turned around and said, listen, you <laughs> you can imagine what works. But it was writ clearly written on their foreheads, you know. You could see that the old guys are going, those little, how can, how can they get to do this? And I don't want to say, turn around and you got to bless them. Because when you bless them, you're blessing yourself when you were that age. Mm-hmm. You know, and all the guys teared up and I realized we have to do, uh, I learned this later, but the, the, one of the terms for that is nunc protunc, which means now for then. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people in particular, a lot of guys that are in their 60s and their 70s, they never were blessed when they were 10, 12 years mm -hmm. old. You know, and I saw that like clearly like, and a lot of people aren't, period, at that age, at, at that age of rites of passage. 
And clearly, most adults in this country, they look like adults, but they were out there stuck in that loop also of incompleted stages of development, which means being acknowledged and being blessed by the community and that love for what who they are. So not only do you have, you don't have no elders, you don't have any elders, or you don't have any adults either. You know, so you have to you have to repair all the different uh, uh, steps or uh, stages of the community at the same time. So it's not just the youth, but you gotta have adults and you gotta have elders. So it works. So that it's a much much deeper, larger. So we yes. have to all do it all because if if you, if you neglect one, the whole thing doesn't get off the ground. You know, so I'm not having enough horsepower or enough lift yeah. or, or you know. So that's what yes. I'm looking at. One of the things that I'm looking at, you know, is how to be able to get that going so that everybody, everybody moves. It's like a, what do they call a quantum leap is necessary. And mm-hmm. this is what we're looking at right yes. now, you know. And, so, that, and that everyone yeah. receives blessings. Exactly. Yes. Everyone. Yeah. Yes. So no, yes. nothing, no, nobody's excluded in some form or another, you know. Yes. So. Well, Miguel, you are a blessing, and I am so glad to have had this conversation with you. Um, Mm -hmm. As we bring it to a close, I would love if you could share with our listeners how they can find you, how they can join with you. Um, What's best? What's the best way? Sure. There's a website that we have called Western Gate Roots and Wings Foundation or WGRW.org. And there's contact information there for for me and for the guys that I work with. It's still in in developing, but in development, but it'll it'll be updated and more information to come. And I also work different retreats. You know, I work uh, at the Great Mother Conference that's in Maine, and then I also work with Soldiers Heart too, also as well, or Wolf Connection. So any of those organizations too have work that I do. You know, reflected in their activities. Wonderful. Well, I thank you so much um, Mm -hmm. for talking to me and for all the work that you do. Great. Thank you, Sharon, so much. And really, really appreciate this time and blessings to you and your family. All All right. To you too. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Whether creating something new or responding to a changing world, navigating change is the new stability.